I want to welcome you to the Pro Mindset Podcast. The Pro Mindset Podcast is all about diving into the headspace that results in championship performance. High-performing athletes, winners, have this mental flow and have a positive headspace for their performances and success. Join me, Craig Doman, sports attorney and NFL agent, on this podcast. I will interview pro athletes, college athletes, football coaches, and sports personalities. Together, we can discover how you can get in the flow and have your own pro mindset. Okay, I have today as a special guest, Warren McCarty. Warren wears many different hats. Uh, Warren is uh, based in Denver, Colorado, where he is a quarterback whisperer. He helps young men get scholarships to play college football. He's been a former uh, Arena League general manager. He's had his own ESPN radio show. He coaches an all-star seven-on-seven football team. I'm not sure there's anything that you haven't done in football in Colorado over the last decade, but what we're going to focus on today, Coach, is how do you help young men get an opportunity to chase a dream and make that dream come true by getting an opportunity to play college football on scholarship? Sure. And I know that you look at D1 first, then you go down the list, D2, D3, JUCO, prep Mm -hmm. school. So you you have a portfolio of options for any family that wants to that has a son that wants to continue playing football after high school. Yeah. So, as we get started, why don't you kind of give us an overview of your philosophy of how you help a young man do that? Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'll say that first, Craig. Initially, what I what I like to do and and I guess just to back up in Colorado, it's still known in the recruiting world as a flyover state. It's not a place where every Division One program in the country will show up on a one specific high school's campus, like Coppell High School outside of Dallas. Every D1 program goes there. Basically, every FCS program that recruits Texas goes there. Okay, In Colorado, maybe there's 10 to 15 Division One schools that consistently roll through the state. So from the outset, when I sit down with a family, first thing I try to do is separate fact from fiction on – how, how it is that a young man from Colorado can get recruited because there are a lot of negative business elements to the recruiting business and it, it has become a business. But there are a lot of ways that families trying to be proactive can go waste money, flush money on things that, you know, combines and camps and all-star events that have zero impact on getting a young man recruited. So that's the first thing I'm trying to do is lay out a game plan based on what the kid's ability is, in my opinion, and really kind of separate fact from fiction on on what actually will help the young man get recruited. Because in the state of Colorado, you have to be proactive to get recruited simply because you don't have the foot traffic that Dallas, Orange County, Miami, Florida, places like that have. So from from the get-go, we have to be proactive. Secondly, we have to be realistic about, is this young man a Power 5 player? Is he a mid-major D1 player? Is he an FCS guy, a D2 guy? So that's, that's my initial, is, initial plan is let's, let's determine who he is, what he's capable of, and then from there decide what the next steps are. It's, it's very similar to putting together an offensive game plan. Let's figure out what we're good at, what we can attack, what we can have success at, and, and use those parameters that we set forth to get the young man to college and okay. get, him, get him opportunities to go play. 
All right, Coach, what is the the players that have a passion for the sport that have been, you know, big-time players in high school, they want to keep playing. They want to play on TV. They want to be on scholarship. They want to get a – they don't even know what this means, but they want to get a stipend. They want to be BMOC. Yeah. They want to live that lifestyle that they think it is, but they really don't probably really know what it is. We're talking about helping young men extend their dream, mm -hmm. make it happen. What's the number one myth that parents or players think about this process of getting a college scholarship to play intercollegiate sports that they think is true that's not really true? The, their uh, high school statistics and their accolades, all league uh, team captain, led the team in rushing, that those accolades and personal statistical achievements matter to a college coach. They matter none. So just like when you go from college to the pro, when you go from college, they don't care if you run for, run for 2,000 yards, get 400 tackles. They want to know your height, weight, speed. Do you translate to what the prototype is for that particular organization? Yeah. You kind of got to fit in a box. Yes. And that's why sometimes some of the best college players aren't drafted until day three, and somebody that really didn't play that much is drafted in the first round because it's based upon potential and projection. Right. Okay. I'm going to see that a lot in college football, which there's, let's take offense, for example. You've got some teams that are air raid, some that are dual threat quarterback zone read, spread-based run, run option type offenses. And then you've still got some pro style in the Big Ten, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, places like that. Again, though, they, they don't care if you were an all-galaxy running back and ran for 6,000 yards. That doesn't matter if you don't meet – the size of back that they're looking for. If you don't show that, you know, such and such is offense, they ask the back to protect in the A-gap, but also be able to get out in the flat and be a check down guy. Well, if you don't have any evidence on your film that you can catch the ball in the backfield, or you've not shown that you can step up in the A-gap and have enough lead in your ass to take on a, a Mike Backer, an inside backer coming downhill, it doesn't matter that you were all league three years in a row or that you're a three-year starter. That doesn't matter if you don't fit what it is they're looking for. And, and that's hard for a parent. You know, I have kids, you have kids, um, to get past the accomplishments, the accolades, the plaque that they get at the postseason football banquet. But none of that matters whatsoever in terms of a young man being recruited. Well, to add to that, if you think about most high school teams, they're they're a mixture of freshmen or sophomore, juniors, and seniors, mm -hmm. and some of those guys are never going to play football after high school. Correct. A lot of them are going to be fantastic humans and great doctors and lawyers and different things, but they're not going to play football. Right. So when a young man torches a team for 150 yards rushing against a defense that's made up of young players and guys who are never going to play college football. It's not fair for a college coach to evaluate that running back based upon that competition and Correct. those results. Okay? okay, Let's talk about what does matter then. Okay. So you have a situation where you interface with parents, mm -hmm. the player, okay. his coaches, mm -hmm. the recruiting and personnel people at a university, coaches at a university. Walk us through the relationship and the connection you have real-life relationships you have with college coaches and recruiting people? Well, this is a business based on trust. 
very much like your background in the NFL, representing NFL players for years. You know, you've got, good Lord, I guess probably every general manager in the NFL and a whole bunch of scouts and personnel guys on speed dial on your on your phone. You can dial them up, right? And I'm kind of in that same situation with college coaches and, and college personnel directors. It was not always. Hang on a second, coach. You're not kind of in that situation. I've walked around with you. We're at the coaches' <laughs> convention in San Antonio. This is circa 2019. You know about every other person in, yeah. at, at the convention. Yeah. You know a lot of people because you talked to a lot of people about a lot of young men. So don't underestimate or understate the relationships you have with these schools that the online services don't have. Online services do not have that. And the the benefit of me also having a coaching agency and representing coaches is I also understand how they, how my clients at the division one level respond to these online recruiting services. They treat it just like the junk mail that we get in our spam file on our Gmail account or the Wednesday circulars you get in your mailbox, right? It's just, it's overkill. Very little of that information is useful or factual. It still gets back to trust. Right, again, very much like like what you've experienced in the NFL, representing professional football players. I pride myself on never misrepresenting a, a an athlete's true height, their true weight, what the real speed is, what their ability is, what their mental makeup is. I'm always trying to paint a realistic, truthful picture to these coaches. But I'm also not going to waste, you know, a buddy of mine's time who's in the Power Five on a kid who really probably needs to be playing D2 football. I'm not going to waste his time. And and those coaches know that. Therefore, when I do pick up the phone and call them about a certain player, they're going to be responsive because they know it is at least worth their time to evaluate the kid. Might not be what they're looking for, might not fit their criteria that year, or they might have 10 guys that are better on the board, but they know I'm not going to waste their time on a kid who's not capable of doing it at their level. And that's based on 10 years of doing this and my previous life in professional football evaluating athletes pretty much have a 99% certainty about what level of talent the kid has and what he's really capable of based on all these factors. But kind of getting back to your original question about parents, that's probably the hardest thing for parents and high school athletes to separate is that all the things you've accomplished and that you've been rewarded for and, and awarded for doesn't really factor into are you going to get a scholarship offer from the University of so-and-so. Just, it just doesn't matter. Well, I can see that one of the biggest challenges in that environment is when, let's just take a young man from uh, the front range of Colorado mm-hmm. that is a CU Buff fan. Always wanted to be a buff. He's gone to games with his mom and dad or his father. And that's his dream school. You might find out that he's really an FCS kid and you ought to be going to Greeley. Or he might be going to some other school. Yet he wants to go to CU Boulder. What do you tell a family in that situation? Initially, I try to really be truthful and tell them this is where I project him at. And if I kind of get the side eye or a different look, I'll quickly have somebody at that level give me some feedback. Hey, I'm thinking this kid's FCS, or I'm thinking this kid's a mid-major D1, or I think this kid's a Power 5. I'll go get some verification of that, right? 
And, well, then, and the, then provide that feedback right back to them. Look, this is I this is what I believe, and here's Coach So and So at such and such school, and this is the feedback he's given me. So right off the bat, we kind of know. No, he's he's not going to play at the University of Colorado. Well, one of the unless things, he wants to be a walk on. No, I get it. And one of the things that you've shared with me before is that you know if somebody has a pet school that is a dream school, but it might yeah. be a little bit of a reach for that young man. As you tell a family, if you want to invest a couple hundred bucks in a camp, send them to the camp. If the if the school uh, has an interest in him, it'll it'll show up in that camp. Yep. Ninety nine out of a hundred times, nothing happens. But at least they got to scratch that itch, and they're not holding against you because you said they couldn't go there. Yep. They went there, they auditioned, didn't get the love, didn't get the love. Right. Just got to you know, and then basically now you're back to okay. Now what are we going to do? So then you, you've, in those cases, implemented your plan. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Let's talk about one of your clients you had this last year and describe for the audience what you did to help him maximize his opportunity and perhaps you might use as an example a young man that went Power 5. Well, I'll say let's start with Isaac Townsend. Okay. He's a national recruit this year. Uh, early signing period in December, he signed with the Oregon Ducks. So Isaac is a six foot six, two hundred and thirty-five pound pass rusher from Ralston Valley High School in Arvada, Colorado. His parents hired me, knowing that okay, he's not going to have fifty Division One programs just magically show up on campus at Ralston Valley in Arvada to to look at him and evaluate him. A. B, the parents are pretty sharp in that they understood that in the state of Colorado, we don't have padded spring practice until June 1. Well, May 31st, coaches have to be off the road, right? So they, they'll never see him go through spring ball in practice. So they knew he had to be proactive, right? Whereas kids in Texas have that advantage. You can go watch a kid in Texas be in pads for three weeks, right, in, in May. So they, they were educated enough on, on that part of the process to know that Oh, we better we better be proactive. But he's very athletic. He can dunk any way he wants to, and he's strong, and he's an aggressive guy, and he looks the part. We need help. Um, ironically, I got his first scholarship offer through a text message before a coach had even looked at his game film. I sent a video of him dunking at the YMCA where he put one through his legs and threw it down. And I said, you know, sent the little clip on iPhone. He's six foot six, two thirty-five, with great grades and a bad attitude on the field. I think he's going to be an elite pass rusher. Are you interested? And within forty-eight hours of some conversations and a little bit of background check, he had his first offer. And that was at the University of Tennessee. Well, then that's when that snowball effect takes place because now every other Division One program that I called knew he had a big-time Power Five offer, and that really changes the dynamic of the conversation. Because now I'm not saying, hey, I've got this really tall pass rusher and he's a great athlete and here's this cool dunk video and he's a good football player on the field. It's all of that plus he has an offer from the University of Tennessee. How many D1 offers did he end up with? Oh, goodness. I want to say a dozen, maybe more. But okay. we, we made it really clear from the get-go that uh, he was going to be a Power 5 guy. So a lot of the mid-major schools didn't bother offering. You know, he wasn't a dude who ended up with 50 Division One offers. He's also not, I don't allow any of my players to go on Twitter and post, I just got my 17th offer. It's not, that that's a turn off to college coaches. This is not about collecting offers or falling in love with the recruiting process. It's 
finding the right school. So very quickly we made it, let it be known. He's only looking at Power Five schools. He wants to win. You know, these are the the criteria the young man's looking for. Um, and it got really crazy, Craig, just in terms of how some of the college coaches who were recruiting him tried to make their pitch. We saw some negative recruiting against other schools that had offered. Uh, also had to guide them through the process of, hey, it looks like this coaching staff is going to get fired. I know you really like the school, but chances are there's going to be a different head coach by the time you're ready to sign. So we need to factor those things in. And uh, I, I want to credit Isaac for having always followed the plan. So we did not go do – so he gets that offer from Tennessee – uh, they did say, you know, we'd love to see him in camp. He goes out to their camp and just killed it. He ran a four six eight forty laser timed at two hundred and thirty three and a half pounds. He jumped thirty seven and a half inches on his vertical, like all the, you know, combine style testing. He did fantastic. He loved his tour of the campus. He really liked it, and that also kind of set the bar for him. Like, okay, I've got this offer from University of Tennessee. If I'm going elsewhere. It, it better be a really nice situation with nice facilities, good coaches, et cetera. Like that kind of set the bar for, for him. But he followed the path, followed the plan. We did not do, you know, he wasn't going to crisscross America the summer leading up to his senior season to do a bunch of camps. He wanted to have his decisions kind of narrowed down in the month of May of his junior year. He did that. And then he took some visits over the summer and made his commitment to Oregon, fell in love with the coaches, with the program. Uh, Thomas Aarons, Jim Levitt, Court Dennison, those guys did a tremendous job in how they recruited him. And they recruited the family as well. And that, I, I feel like that was a big piece of it. But I think my work with Isaac was not so much about going and like collecting offers. It was more about helping him navigate the process because it got pretty complicated after he got his first big offer. Well, let's talk about the different functions that you provide. You know, for some young men, it's getting them an opportunity, yep. maximizing the money, maybe getting them farther away from home or closer to home, depending on what his goals are. Sure. And, you know, at the D2 level, it's just, you know, combining uh, maybe financial aid with uh, a stipend from football to, to be able to make it happen. And then you've got guys that might have FCS offers that want D1 off. They want, you know, FBS offers. Right. So you're trying to help them find a better offer. They've got a full ride, but they want a better deal. So during that process, you're keeping your eye out for schools that he might be a good fit with mm -hmm. that he could get a better offer. Then you got guys like Isaac that, hey, he hit the lottery from the jump. He's got an opportunity to go to an SEC school yeah. from the jump. And now it's a situation of how can he manage the process instead of the, ma the process manage him? How can he be in control instead of he being overwhelmed by the whole process? Because anytime you're, anytime a young man gets a scholarship from an SEC school, he's going to get it from everybody. Yep. Else. Um, so is that kind of that's a good segue into one of the things that I really worked with Isaac on was managing his time because you know there's certain periods of time where NCAA coaches are able to. Twitter direct message and text. Early on, he showed some concerns about, coach, what do I say to this coach and that coach that are offering me? And that's where I think kids kids screw up a lot, especially high-level recruits. They fall in love with grown men loving on them. Oh, yeah. That's right? not even the coach sometimes. Could right. be an assistant. Totally. Okay? And they are texting and they're Twitter direct messaging and the, the – 
the problem with that is, A, those athletes are getting distracted from the business side of it. This is a business decision on both sides. And then B, they're wasting a lot of people's time because they're so, I just got my 17th offer. I've got my 24th offer. You know, they're in love with that recruiting process, but they're also spending a lot of time having these conversations and developing relationships with coaches at schools that they will never consider when it gets down to time to sign on the dotted line. So again, with Isaac, from the get-go, we said, okay, what These are the criteria. We've got this Power 5 SEC offer. It's got to be something better than Tennessee for you to consider. And anytime he would get hit up by a mid-major coach, I just taught him to be respectful. Coach, thank you so much for your interest in me. I have offers from this school and this school and this school and this school. I'm really only going to consider schools that are at that level. I wish you the best of luck, etc. So it's a polite way of saying thank you, but no thank you. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want you wasting my time, the best of luck to you without ignoring a coach or leading him on to make him think, wow, we really got a shot at Isaac Townsend when you never did. And so I felt like, or I feel like, and I know that he appreciated the fact that he he didn't get overwhelmed with things because he was able to kind of cut some things off from the get-go politely. And then secondly, I think there are a lot of coaches that appreciated the fact that he didn't lead them on. Absolutely. Because it's it's rare for an elite national recruit to not lead guys on. It happens a lot. Absolutely. Coach, one of the things that I think really confuses players and confuses the whole process is the fact that most schools have between 15 and 25 mm-hmm. scholarship spots. Yep. And some schools offer 400 scholarships. Some you know, maybe only 125 or 30. And we understand that they have to offer more than they have because they're not going to get everybody they want. But it, what I think is a little bit of a um, an unknown and a surprise for a lot of families is that sometimes they get offers, the player gets an offer, and it's not committable. A non-committable offer. So as you mentioned, there are programs who in a signing class will offer over 400 guys. There are programs, at Northwestern, for example, that's, they're much more conservative and they will offer 100 maybe, right, based on their specific criteria. But a school, Iowa State, I think, catches some heat because they offer a lot of dudes. Well, in their defense, uh, Coach Campbell and his staff are trying to build something special in Ames and they, they, they're on that path, right? But they feel like they have to cast a wider net to get – elite athletes to want to come to Ames, Iowa to play, right? And they're they're starting to. They're getting they're going to have a big time oh. receiver that's going to be drafted and they've gotten some nice upset wins and they're going to bowl games and it is working for them, right? But I think the schools that sometimes offer dudes, I think offer them kind of as a backup plan as insurance in case the three dudes that they like a little bit better go elsewhere. And so there's some stringing along. And for my kids, I tell them, you know, we're blessed and thankful anytime we get an offer because we can use that to leverage other programs to offer. But at the same time, if it's one that you are really in love with early on, that's when we've got to ask, how would you feel if I committed? And then that's really where you get down to how serious that school is about you. Because Oftentimes they'll be like, well, hold on now. You know, it's not a committable offer. We need to see in camp. We need to evaluate your 
And then it gets back to, well, what you offer me in the first place? Well, it's it's insurance. This is it's almost like becoming the insurance business. This is in case A, B, C, and D fall through, we've got E, and we think you're a really good player. We don't think you're as good as the four other dudes in front of you, but if those guys go elsewhere or get hurt or for whatever reason we we don't want them or can't get them, we're happy enough with you that we think you can play at our university. Well, one of the things that, that's definitely in play in this situation is that a lot of schools make offers based upon they've seen the young man in camp, a coach knows this high school coach, mm -hmm. there's some connection, they feel like he's a good fit, and then there's other players that are made offers based upon they've already got offers, yep. and there's got to be a due diligence on behalf of the school before they really know if they want the guy. Absolutely. And yep. so the other thing, that there's a there's an attrition game going on in college football too where you know you only can have 85, but you got five classes. Yep. So that's 17 kids per year. But you can give like up to like 30 or 30, maybe a little bit more than 30, depending on how much attrition you have. And even though it's supposed to be 25, it's really more because you can, I mean, there's a game these coaches play. So if a certain guy has a medical, they can get that back. So now instead of having 25 cap, they got a 26 because they got a medical. So if one of the previous class guys has a career ending injury, it actually works to the benefit of the school because now they can offer 26. Correct. Right? And so we're playing this musical chairs game. Very okay. much, very much musical chairs. And, yeah. then, and then you add in the, the grad transfer element, mm -hmm. which from the player side, I think is awesome because it gives that guy who's gone and killed it at the FCS level for three years and got his degree, gives him a chance to go prove what he maybe what he believed as a senior in high school that he should be playing at the division one level or in the sec or whatever right and for other guys it gives them an opportunity for a fresh start gardner Minshew being a fantastic example of that you know i think and this is no disrespect to uh, scotty montgomery or the coaching staff at east carolina but i think a lot of people were like how on earth is gardner Minshew leading america in passing but what happened at east carolina they really had somebody better than him or he didn't really perform, what what happened, right? And sometimes I think guys, for whatever reason, need a fresh start. And it, getting back to the business discussion of it, it provides guys almost an element of free agency. On the flip side, I know, because I spoke to FCS head coach this morning, there's a lot of concern that they're going to get used as the developmental league for Division One football and that elite fourth-year, fifth-year senior players who've established themselves as stars at the FCS level are about to start bouncing and going and playing D1 football. There's some serious concern there, and I don't know that I don't know if that's a healthy situation for FCS or you know mid-major D1 football, but I do like the idea of players having some freedom because the coaches certainly do. So give me the ABCs. You're sitting down with, let's say I have a son, mm -hmm. and he's going into sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school, and I'm interested in finding out about how you do your business, what part, you know, what should we do? You know, how does this ACT stuff work? How's the scoring work, the sure. GPA work, the transcripts? Walk them through the NCAA Eligibility Center process. Okay, so for, that's one of the things we, you know, I provide parents with a checklist once they've decided, okay, they are asking me to handle the recruitment process for them. 
very first step is you go get registered with the NCA Clearinghouse so that they, the NCA Clearinghouse office and your high school counselors are on the same page with respect to your core credits because that is gradually changing, that the GPA is on point and that you know the young man is signed up for SAT and ACT as soon as possible, the practice test so that they get used to it. And I think a lot of a lot of people don't understand that the core credit GPA minimum requirements are increasing. That goes along with the SAT and the ACT scores. There's a little more of a financial, or uh, pardon me, a little more of a um, academic standard that is rising due to new NCA you know, regulations in terms of what they want Division One football players in particular to to display in the classroom. So. From the get-go, I want them registered with the NCAA Clearinghouse. They've got an online website. It's very easy. You just went through it uh, with one of your sons. And from there, that at least provides a sense of relief that, okay, on the academic side, NCAA is talking to the high school counselor's office. They're in touch. Now we can get this figured out and everything will be streamlined and they can go through their protocol. But in terms of the sophomore parent, the two things I'm encouraging all 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 those sophomore parents to do is get the kids to camp at camps that are realistic, right? It's very easy to say, I want to go to UCLA's camp. Well, Chip Kelly took over the UCLA program, and he's got, you know, there's 1,200 kids at their football camp, okay? You are not, it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to get noticed with 1,100 other dudes in white T-shirts, right? It's going to camps where they get a taste of college football at the level that, I kind of feel like they can play at, and then secondly, that they will actually get reps and get noticed, and, and that kind of takes care of two issues: a gets them exposed to what D1 football is like, and it also gets them exposed to what other D1 football players look like, and that gets us back to being the big man on campus, being the best player on that high school football team. Sometimes, especially in the state of Colorado, kids don't have a great perspective of what D1 football players really look like. So when they're they're at a college camp, you know, on a D1 campus, for example, and they're competing against other dudes, then sometimes they can get their eyes open as to what their own strengths and weaknesses are and how they compare to the other elite players of the camp, right? Like the, the proof's kind of in the pudding at that point. Absolutely. Everybody wants to be starred. How do you no. get starred? That's a million-dollar question, Greg. A lot of people are very critical of the rivals system, I've not looked in the last year or so, but I know that two years ago there were, I think, 14 guys that were administering star rankings, and only two of them had any actual football playing or coaching background. The other 12 were just media that no evidence that they ever played football or coached football. Okay. Wow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pro Mindset. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five stars, of course. You can follow us on our website, promindsetpodcast.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ProMindsetPodcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time.